week. Amen. How many have enjoyed, uh, to some extent, this series, The Gospel, that we're in? Uh, I know I have. I've enjoyed what God has given me as we've uh, talked about this over the last few weeks. And today is going to be our last message in the series, The Gospel. And uh, I, I have really enjoyed it. Um, I, I think it's really, uh, you know, because the gospel is such that it's not just to bring you to salvation, but it's also for us to, and uh, also for us to grow. And I've really enjoyed that. I know it's helped me to grow even as I've preached it. I've also had to listen to what God has to say. Amen. And it's really helped me. So if you have your Bible this morning, how many people have some form of a Bible, a Bible or a device or something like that? Amen. Hallelujah. Good. Amen. Hold your Bible up or your device up this morning. All right. Say this with me. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. Make my heart tender ground and fertile ground that this word would be a fertile seed and would bring forth fruit in my life. In Jesus name. Amen and amen. Amen. All right. Well, if you have your Bible, I want you to turn this morning to a couple different scriptures. We're just going to look at a couple different scriptures that lay the foundation and the uh, legwork, I guess, for our, our short message, our short exhortation this morning. And if you have your Bible or your device, turn to 1 John, to the book of 1 John, chapter number 2nd. 1 John chapter number 2, and look with me just at verse 12. 1 John chapter 2, before we even get into the PowerPoint and all that, just look at these scriptures here. 1 John chapter 2, verse 12 says this, John says this, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven But he doesn't just say that your sins are forgiven just so they can be forgiven. Your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. So that Jesus would have a good name. How many know that Jesus has a good name? But so that he would have a good name, he had to forgive your sins. So he could have a good name. So it's on him. All right, flip back to Colossians. The book of Colossians, also chapter number second. Colossians chapter number two and see where to Colossians two. Let's look at verse number 13 Colossians two actually let's start at verse 11 says in him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh he made alive together with him having forgiven you all your trespasses, having forgiven you all your trespasses. Oh, let's, let's continue on. Let's go back to Ephesians. We're just working our way back here, working our way back to the gospel. All right. Book of Ephesians. Look there with me at chapter 1. In Ephesians, just flip a few pages back and look at, look at verse 7. Ephesians 1 verse 7 says this says, in him, who is that? That's Jesus Christ. In him, we have redemption through his blood. What do we have? The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. And how many know Christ has great riches in his grace? All right. One more scripture I'm going to have you turn to. That's Luke chapter 23rd. Luke number 23rd and verse number 33rd. 
All right, lighten up, guys. It's all right. Sunday morning. It's, come on, it's, it's springtime. It's, uh, it's beautiful outside. I was talking to somebody this morning. We just, was it, I think it was Sister Betty. We just said, you just got to smile today because it's, uh, you know, the weather's so beautiful. If you don't smile when the sun is out, then you just don't smile. Come on now. <laughs> all right, Luke, what did I say? <laughs> 23rd. <laughs> 23rd, 33rd, 23rd, 33rd. All right, here we go. Starting at verse 33, it says, And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Something you have to remember about this point at, at the cross. You know, we say that and we read that passage of scripture as if Jesus just had a hard day. You know, he was a little tired because he'd been working in the yard all day, you know. And he's a little worn out and he says, oh, you know, I'm a little tired, but I'm about to die. But Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. How many know that's not how it was up on that cross? I mean, Jesus could barely breathe at this point. He's almost dead. And there is no one in the history of man, out of all of the serial killers and out of all the heinous crimes and murders that have been done in history, no one has ever died the way Jesus died on the cross. I mean, I don't, I don't mean to go from a happy moment to sort of being morbid, but I mean, his flesh was ripped from his body during his torture, folks. I mean, blood and the thorns that went, they weren't just little pricks, like from a little prickly bush. Come on, they were long thorns that they pushed down into his head, almost penetrating his skull, but until where blood was just coming down. And so I think you get the pictures, a little graphic, but by the time he was on the cross, he could barely breathe, much less talk. And so for him to say, after they did this to him, for him to say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. I mean, to me, that is pretty incredible. I don't know about you, but I don't know if I would have said that or not. I don't know at that point in my death if I would have said, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We're going to talk a little bit today about the gospel is forgiven. The gospel is forgiven. Folks, the gospel is mind-boggling, almost unbelievable when you hear about that description of how Jesus died and how he said those words on the cross. It sounds almost too good to be true. Well, I'll just go back to my definition, my definitions of the gospel. First one we had, and I really emphasize these three words, is God, the gospel is God welcoming you just as you are because you can't do anything for yourself for redemption. You can't fix it. But these three words, by grace alone, through faith alone, but in Christ alone, not in anyone else, in Christ alone, by grace, ye are saved through faith. It is the gift of God, not of yourselves. Remaking you and setting you on a path to an unimaginably great future. You have to understand that the gospel is not just bringing you to the cross, but the gospel also flows from the cross to the rest of your life. Remaking you, remolding you, reshaping you. A continual journey is the gospel. What is the gospel? It is the persistent God. Never, ever, no, not even ever giving up. I've given up on people. Some have given up on me. Some have probably given up on you. But he never gives up on you, always loving you, holding his arms open, saying, Welcome 
home. We've learned that the gospel is for everyone. I don't care who you are. Tall, short, black, white, Asian, Mongolian, African, fat, skinny, whatever. A lot of beautiful hair, bald. The gospel is for everyone. But when we talk about the gospel, what are we talking about? Are we talking about a list of rules and principles that you have to follow, a bunch of laws uh, that we have to adhere to to make sure that we get into heaven? That's not what the gospel is either. The gospel is about one person, one man, one God, and that is Jesus, the Messiah. He is the gospel. Do you remember when Lazarus died and he waited four days to get there? And when he got there, the ladies, maybe they were a little upset with him. I mean, they knew he was Jesus. They knew he was the Messiah. And they knew they probably shouldn't be upset with him. Maybe he had some reason to do what he did. But yet the grief is still there because our brother died. And we know we've seen you heal people. So we know you could have done something about it. Yet he waited to come. And when he got there, he said, don't you know that Lazarus will rise again? And one of the ladies said, yeah, we know. I know there's a resurrection. The day is coming where we're all resurrect. And he said, oh, I am the resurrection. You're looking at the resurrection. The resurrection is walking with you and talking with you. You want to know what the gospel is? It is Jesus. You have the gospel in your heart. It is about Jesus alone. And Jesus did something for us that is so remarkable, and that is forgive us. It's just one word. It sounds so simple, but the gospel is forgiven. Here's my definition of that. What is forgiven? Forgiven is when God generously gives pardon, not grudgingly. Well, you did it. Oh, I tell you what, one more time. One more time, I'll forgive you. No, he generously gives pardon, folks. Releases us from guilt, shame, the pain of sinful and harmful habits, ones that we develop. He forgives us of all of that. My brokenness is healed. My sin canceled by his extravagant grace. That's what God does. I mean, if I was talking to somebody and they said, well, you know, I got to go to the bank and pay my mortgage. And, you know, they went to the bank to pay their mortgage. And when they got there, the teller said, well, I don't see anything here on your, I mean, what are you paying? And they said, I pay my mortgage. I pay it every month. And they went and got the loan officer and, uh, and, the, and the bank president. And he came and says, well, I, it appears that your uh, mortgage is canceled. You're, someone paid it off for you. Your debt is canceled. What do you think that person would do? What do you think you would do? Come on. If you had a $100,000 mortgage, $150,000 mortgage, $200,000 mortgage, and you went there one day and it was just canceled, what would you do? Well, I'd say, hallelujah, I would rejoice. Amen. Maybe plan a little vacation. I don't know. <laughs> Well, this is how much more is what Jesus did for you and I when he canceled eternally our sin. All we have to do is go to him. That's all you have to do is go to him. Now, you know, one of the things that I've been thinking about and God has really convicted me about, and I know as I I look here at my friends this morning and look around and, uh, you know, I, I know you know, most of you. and But one of the things God has really been convicting me about is, should the Lord ever lead us to do an altar call? I'll just just be frank with you this morning. Is that okay? Should the Lord ever lead us to do an altar call? One of the things that I, I try to do is, I try to make people not be embarrassed because I think this is one, one of the things that Satan does is he, he tries to make us feel embarrassed. You know, when God calls you, to something, but you look around and everybody else looks like they're, they got it all together. 
You know, they don't need healing. They don't need to be delivered from anything. I'm the only one going up here, you know, and everybody's looking at me going, ooh, I wonder what it is they did. What, what did they do? Why is it they have to go up for an altar call? The devil tries to embarrass us like that. So my heart is to get people saved and into the kingdom and healed and delivered and all of that. And so I try to circumvent that by saying, you know, just stay where you're at, raise your hand, every head bow, every eye closed, nobody's embarrassing you. And right there where you are, we can just pray for you, you know, and uh, you can say this prayer along with everybody else and that way you're saved. I don't know for sure that that person was changed. You know, you don't get changed by a lifting of the hand. And so God's been convicting me about that. Should there be an altar call, we need to make a decision. Come on, you ought to be convicted. I mean, I've, I've shared my story, and we all have stories, I'm sure. I know I've shared my story about how, you know, I felt like I was a good kid anyway. I mean, I wasn't on drugs, and, you know, I don't, I don't have that testimony where I was, I felt like I was radically saved out of drugs and out of alcohol and out of, you know, all these type of things and divorced parents and abuse and all this, and God snatched me out of all that, and it was radical. No, I don't have that, and so I felt like, well, my salvation experience wasn't that big of a deal, but I want to tell you, I was radically saved on that day that morning in April 1983 I'm telling you there was a change there was a conviction in my heart when that couple preached the word that morning those two evangelists preached the word that morning I mean it penetrated my heart and I was convicted and I said I cannot go another moment I'm, I don't care who goes up there I'm making a stand I'm going up to the altar and I'm giving my life to the Lord and I mean it was a change it was radical. And that's what the word of God does. And if you are unsure about that experience, the gospel is not about an experience. But if you're at all unsure about that, then you need to, to take that step. Come on, so that you're sure. Listen, I don't want eternity for me left in the balance of I think I might have. I, I should be okay. You know, kind of like, did you pay that bill? I think we did. We should be okay. Well, this is eternity. I'm not going to leave that to, I, I should be okay. I think I'm good. No, I'm making sure that I'm good. I don't know about you, but I'm making sure that I'm good. Why? Because he did all the work. Come on. There's nothing for you to do but to respond to what God is saying to you. To come forward. To confess with your mouth and believe in your heart in Jesus Christ. Come on. Peter tells us to repent of our sins. But why is that the hardest thing in the world? Why is it so hard to say I'm sorry? Come on, married people. Come on, best people who have best friends. Why is it so hard to say I'm sorry? Very simple. Two words. Repent. I repent. Two words. But we got to mean it in our heart. And that's what God wants from us. Listen to Ephesians 1, 7 and 8. Out of the Amplified. It says, in him we have redemption. What is that? That's deliverance and salvation. He's delivered us from the lake of fire. He's delivered us from sin. And I'll tell you a little secret. Isaiah even said he delivered us from sickness. Now, that's the Bible. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. He delivered us from all of those things. That doesn't mean the devil doesn't try to put it on you. Come on now. I'm just being realistic. But how do we react to that? We can't, we, can't, uh, we can't choose how other people act toward us, including the enemy. But we can choose how we react to those things. Come on. It says, through his blood. What is it? The remission of sin. That's forgiveness. The remission of our offenses. All of our shortcomings. All of our trespasses. Now, come on. Some of you, like me, have some shortcomings. <laughs> come on now. I know I do. But he's forgiven us of all of that in accordance with the riches and the generosity. You see, you're not just barely forgiven. Woo! I'm just barely forgiven. I know I made him mad. 
Boy, he's so mad. He just, whoo, thank goodness. Now I'm not going to say anything else because I know he forgave me, so I'm just going to lay low, right? You ever been like that? I have with my dad. You know, he didn't smack me upside the head, so I said, okay, I'm just going to leave it alone. Just watch TV. I'm not saying don't make no noise. I tell my brother, be quiet. Or you rouse dad, right? You don't want to rouse the beast. <laughs> but you understand God is not that way. The reason he forgives you is so he can have relationship with you. The reason he forgives you is so now we can walk together. I want to hear everything. Tell me all about it is what God is saying to you. Tell me your successes. Tell me your failures. Tell me who's been talking about you. Tell me who you've been talking about. Come on. He wants to hear it all. Nothing he hadn't heard before. It says, which he lavished upon us in every kind of wisdom and understanding. What's that? Practical insight and prudence. He looks deep into us. Psalm 86.5 says, for you, O Lord, are good and ready to forgive. You do something wrong, he's waiting to forgive you. He's ready. I got my forgiveness ready. All you got to do is that. It's ready. You, come on. God is waiting to forgive you. <laughs> Sending them away, letting them go completely and forever. And you are abundant in mercy and loving kindness to all those who call upon you, O oh God. Ready and waiting to forgive you. Look at Psalm 130. Verses 3 and 4 in the Amplified says, If you, Lord, should keep account of and treat us according to our sins, who could stand? Well, the answer is nobody. Nobody could stand. If God were to keep account of every sin to hold it against us, who could stand in his sight? You can't even remember all the sins you've committed. If somebody said, write down all your sins right now, you couldn't even remember them all. And you could write 10 pages and still someone else could come and say, oh, you forgot about this and you forgot about that. Come on, you can't even remember them all. So if God in his infinite wisdom were to keep record of all your sin, you could not stand in his presence. But, the Bible says, there is forgiveness with you, oh God. Just what man needs. <laughs> that you may be reverently feared and worshipped. Why are you forgiven? That you would have a relationship with the Lord. William Ward said this. He said, forgiveness is a funny thing. It warms the heart and it cools the sting. Forgiveness is one of the most wonderful things in the world. You know, one atheist said one time, he said, you know, I really despise Christians for one thing, and that's that you believe in God and, you know, he's not real. And I can't believe you waste all your time doing that. He said, but... On the other hand, I envy Christians. And he said, well, what do you envy Christians for if you're an atheist? He says, because you have somebody to forgive you. You know, you have somebody you can run to. Even if I don't believe in them, you have somebody you can go to and they'll forgive you and they'll welcome you. And I just don't have that. I mean, if I'm an, if I'm an atheist, who can I go to? Nobody. Who can I ask for forgiveness? Who will absolve me of my sins? How, where can I go to get right? Can't do it. C.S. Lewis said to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Remember that. You must forgive the inexcusable. People say, well, I just cannot forgive that. I mean, there is a line and he crossed it and I just cannot forgive it. Well, I want to remind you of something. There are inexcusable things in you that God has already forgiven. So now it becomes inexcusable for you to not forgive the inexcusable. There is a miracle work of salvation. Salvation is not just an event, a moment in time, but there are some things that happen in that first moment of salvation. You see, the Holy Spirit begins a work in you that has several things happen simultaneously as only the Holy Spirit can do when we are born again. 
Let me give you quickly those seven things that happen all at the same time when you give your life to the Lord. And when most of you gave your life to the Lord, this is what happened. The first thing that happened is you had illumination. You had to because you cannot come to the Lord without that. Remember Jesus asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? Well, you're this, who do you say that I am? Peter, you are the Messiah. That's illumination. Because Jesus said, this was not taught to you in the synagogue. You didn't get this from the rabbi in four points that Jesus is the Messiah. This was given to you by the Father in heaven. It was illuminated to you. That inner darkness, that spiritual blindness, it can be overcome by the Holy Spirit's illumination. A person must first know that he or she is lost. That's the reason for the response to the altar call. Don't just throw up a hand and say, yeah, you know, can't hurt. Because you must understand that this thing is not just about avoiding hell. And I get that. I really do. I get that. That you you know, I don't want to go to hell. So I just kind of want to have an insurance policy, whatever it is, just in case. You know, I, I do. I get that. Most of you should get that from somebody who doesn't have that illumination. They want to avoid hell. But I want to tell you, that's not what it's all about. It's not about avoiding hell. This is, this is not about getting away from hell. This is about getting into Jesus. In fact, read your Bible. Jesus didn't even hardly preach about hell. He didn't even talk about it that much. But he talked about the abundant life and what it's like to have a relationship with him and to walk with him. So forget about hell. Get into Jesus. That's what it's all about. And that's what he's trying to illuminate in you. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. 2 Corinthians 4, 6, for it is the God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Come on, there's a sharp awareness that before a holy and loving God, one is a sinner in desperate plight and in need of salvation. And that's what happened to me that day. No matter how good I thought I had been, you know, I wasn't like my other brother who did all these things, or I wasn't like this guy who was on drugs and all that. Guess what? Some illumination occurred that day to say, I don't care if you don't accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have the same fate as Timothy McVeigh, Osama bin Laden, Jack the Ripper, Adolf Hitler, all of them, you're going to be lumped in together with all of them. If you do not accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Now that's just the truth. Jesus said, I am the truth, the way and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. That's what he said. And after you have illumination, all of a sudden you have a conviction. It's an action of the Spirit that brings about a profound inner sense of quiet before God. All of a sudden, you're convicted. Remember Acts 2.37 said, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. That's what I'm talking about. That's that conviction. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, What do you want us to do? What do we do now? I've got to do something. What, what would you have us to do? This thing, these words that you have said have cut us to the heart. I cannot believe that we crucified the Messiah. We crucified our very creator. What can we do? What can we do? It seems hopeless. But Peter gave them an answer. He gave him an answer. And he said in Acts 2.38, which is number three, repent. Simply repent. What do you mean? Just saying, I'm sorry. I mean, we just crucified the Messiah. I mean, we killed him. And not only did we kill him, we killed him good. We killed him real good. And you're telling me all I have to do is say, I'm sorry? Yeah, well, you have to believe it in your heart. And then you have to confess with your mouth. And he'll seal you with his spirit. Repentance. 
Repentance is not just saying I'm sorry, but it's a turning. You know that. It's a turning from sin. From the old to the new. It's a new way of life. It's an act of the will strengthened by the Holy Spirit. It's a movement of whole life away from sin and into God. It's not about, this is why it's not about do's and don'ts. Because if all you do is follow do's and don'ts, every day that's all you're looking to do. Is what do I need to do? What don't I need to do? That's what you're looking at. And your eyes are never on Jesus. But Jesus said, don't worry about the do's and don'ts. Put your eyes on me and I will write my law in your heart. And then by my spirit, you will know the do's and don'ts. Come on, that'll be second nature to you. But I want you to get away from those things and get into me is what God is saying to you. And the only way to do that is through faith. A believing in the word of God and a reaching out for God. How many know that faith is an action word? Come on, it's doing what you believe. Faith is an action word. Acts 20, 21, testifying to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. One passage of scripture says that we have the faith of Christ. He gives us the power to have faith. And when you are illuminated with this thing, And when you repent and when you are convicted of your heart and when you say now I believe and you confess with your mouth and you believe it in your heart, then conversion comes. All of this happens when you're born again. Conversion. It's a total alteration that includes all of the things we talked about resulting in a changed life. Action that gives repentance reality. You are now converted. We know the scripture. If anyone is in Christ, he is a what? Come on. New creature. And then you realize that I've been justified. What does that mean? Just as if I never did it. He wiped it away. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. This has to do with one's standing before God. We have been acquitted. No double jeopardy. We have been pronounced righteous and we have been declared to be righteous by the only one who can convict us. There's only one who can condemn you. There's only one who can convict you and he declared you righteous. Now, if that's not enough to make you say hallelujah, I don't know what will. I don't know what will. Come on. And then you realize that you are a new creation. Because a new creature is one that is born of the Spirit. That same Holy Spirit, think about this. That same Spirit that came upon Mary planted the seed that resulted in Jesus Christ in the flesh. That same seed was planted in your spirit and brought forth a new creation. Same Spirit. That's why he was the firstborn uh, before many brethren and sisters. Come on. You're his brother. You're his sister. Same father. Same DNA. Same seed was planted. New creation. There's a miracle power of embracing God's forgiveness, saints. And here's what it comes to. So now we know all of these things. Jesus died on the cross for our sins, how many times it's been, it's been preached. Uh, we'll hear about it again next week, obviously, as we celebrate the resurrection, not only the death and burial, but the resurrection, come on, of Jesus Christ, the only one who resurrected. In case you haven't heard, he resurrected. Come on. No one else did, did that, no other God. Come on. Mother Teresa, Buddha, I don't care. No one. Righteous, unrighteous, whatever. No one has ever resurrected He's the living God. Come on. He's resurrected. Now that we know, we realize that, wow, you know, this thing is really, I I see it in a different light. You know how he can say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do after being beaten and his, his flesh ripped from his body and all of these things and blood pouring down. 
Bible says he was unrecognizable, saints. You couldn't recognize. You didn't know that was Jesus and you just came upon him. You wouldn't even know who is this and what have they been through. After doing all of that, he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Now that we have a grasp of this lavish forgiveness that God has bestowed upon us and we realize that salvation is more than just an event. It is a lifestyle change. It is an abundant, great, good life. It's not just a life where now I've got to dedicate myself. I've got to put on sackcloth and ashes. I've got to put on my hood, you know, like the monks. And i got to really do these. No, this is a freedom. You throw off all of those things. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is freedom. This is a freedom that God has given us. And now that we realize all these things, there are some things we need to do. First of all, don't be pushed away from the forgiveness of God. In other words, what am I saying? Embrace it. Embrace it. Psalms 51.1 says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. And he does it. He does it. God will turn your... And you may say, well, you don't know. What I've been through, you don't know some things I've done. I mean, I know I, you know, I've dressed up and I look good today because I came to church, but you don't know some things that I've done and some things I've been through. Reminds me of a story of this lady who went to see an artist paint and she went to see some of his paintings and she was there and she took out her pen and she was taking some notes and writing some things down, maybe some paintings that she wanted to buy by him and then she put her pen back into her jacket pocket and all of a sudden the pen leaked. She took out her hanky and she realized, oh my goodness, look at this handkerchief is ruined because there's this blot of ink now on it. So she left the place there. Uh, she just threw the hanky in the trash can. Well, the artist saw this. So everybody left and then he grabbed the hanky out of the trash can. And then a couple of weeks later, he saw this woman at another showing and he had a box, a present for her all wrapped up, and he gave it. She said, what is this? He said, well, it's just for you. And she unwrapped it and looked at it, and it was her hanky. And he had taken that blot and made a beautiful picture on her handkerchief. And she said, what? How in the world did you do this? He said, well, I saw, when I saw that blot on your handkerchief, I saw the end product of how beautiful this picture could be. He said, I took a ruinous blot and turned it into something great. This is what God does with our lives. The ruinous blot that Satan would bring up to you and tell you, you've put on your own life, look at what you've done, give it to God and watch the master at work with what he does for your life. Come on, look at what he can do. I mean, come on, you may be a person that says, well, you don't know what I've been through. I've been through a divorce or I've stolen some things or did this or I did that and uh, I, just, I just can't do it. But you give your life to God and all of a sudden he starts to clean you up and he starts to wipe all those things away from your life. And all, next thing you know, you're preaching in the pulpit. And next thing you know, you're playing in the music ministry. Next thing you know, you're pastor in life church. Come on, somebody. God will turn you around. He will turn you around, but you got to give it to him. There's four life-changing decisions that we need to make. Let me give these to you quickly. Number one, relinquish your debt. Relinquish it, folks, because it's been paid for. Why are you holding on to something that you don't owe? Come on. Why are you holding on to something that you don't owe? Stop holding on to your past. Accept the gift of forgiveness. You can't do enough to earn forgiveness. What are you waiting on? You waiting on an opportunity to come along where you can really make it right? It's not going to happen. The time to make it right is right now by accepting God's forgiveness. The debt was paid in full. So if the debt is paid in full, there's nothing else you have to pay. You simply give it all to God. He's already paid it. 
You know, when Paul was, was, was talking to the church at Corinth and he was talking to the church at Colossus and the church at Ephesus and all of these churches and he was writing all his letters, back then he really understood the culture that he was in. You know what they would do? If you owed a debt back in that day, what they would do is they would take and write your debt down on a piece of paper. And then they would take that, that piece of paper and they would post it up on a tree in the middle of the village or in the middle of the city so that everybody knew Michael owes this debt and he hasn't paid it. Everybody knows that. And so when you walk through the streets, you almost had to walk through with shame or not look and say, yeah, I know. And everybody would see that and look at you and go, yeah, oh, that's you. You owe that debt. But when the debt was paid, likewise, what they would do is they would take another sheet of paper and they would set that thing over top of the other paper and say, debt canceled. Now you can walk proudly through the streets and say, oh, my debt is canceled. See, it's paid off. Well, listen, saints, you can walk proudly through the streets and say, my debt is canceled. But the enemy doesn't want to let you forget it. The enemy will write some things down. Let me illustrate this for you. Come in, Nia. You're, you're just a person. And you're, you're walking through. You're just going through life. You know, you think everything is cool. You got your device. You're on Facebook, Twitter, social cam, IM, whatever those things are. And, uh, you know, you're just having a good time. You know you did some things in your life, but hey... So what? Now's a different day. I'm walking through. But then your enemy comes along, the devil. He comes out of nowhere. Maybe he comes from the left. We don't know. Maybe he comes from your right. And he comes up to you. And he says, yeah, you think you're so cool. You think you're all right. Well, I, I know some things that you've done. And God knows them too. I'm going to write them down. Number one, you are a selfish person. Oh, yeah, you're selfish. I saw what you did, how you didn't share. You're a selfish person and God doesn't like selfish people. Number two, I see what you did in a secret place. I saw what you did when nobody else was looking. That thing you watched on TV, that thing you looked at on the computer, I saw it. And God saw it too. I'm writing it down. Number three, you are a liar. Oh yeah, you told a lie. Oh, I know you think it's a little white lie. But you told the lie. And you know what that makes you? It makes you a liar, number four. And it just goes through all these things on your paper. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you're sitting there feeling condemned. But guess what? Jesus comes along. Maybe he comes from the back. Oh, yeah, Jesus comes along and says, guess what? I got a list too. Hello? Here's my list. Here's my list. Number one, canceled. Number two, Cancel. Number three, cancel. I canceled all these things and I've thrown them into the sea of forgetfulness. Forget about it. Your debt is canceled. Your debt is canceled. Jesus has his own list. Hello? He's thrown it away. Why would you hang on to it? Relinquish your debt. Number two, and this is an important one, repurpose your past. Now, what do I mean by that? Here's what I mean by repurpose your past. All of us, and I've said this several times, come on now. All of us have some skeletons in the closet. Some a little more, you know, skeletons than others. Some of us have three or four, you know, fully grown skeletons. Some of us just have a few bones, <laughs> but we all have skeletons in the closet, all right? There's things back there that we're not too proud of, is what I'm trying to say, right? But remember the blot and how God will turn your past failures into testimonies to help people and help yourself get through pain and mistakes. He'll turn it around. Now, I don't know if you're a person like me, but I've said this before. I've said, boy, I tell you what, I just, you know, I've been through some things, and if I had it to do over, I would make some different decisions. You know, I would have taken that one job. I, you know, I would have married this one person. I would have paid more attention in school. I would have, uh, you know, 
I would have done, you know, whatever. Nia pays great attention in school. I always tease her. A and B student. I'm so proud of you. Good job. <laughs> or I would have done this. I would have taken a different path. I would have moved here because I hate the winter time. So I should have moved to Tampa. You know, or I would have done this and done that. Well, guess what? God sees the end from the beginning. He knew right where you would be today. He knew every decision, good and bad, that you would ever make. And guess what? Everything the enemy meant for your bad, God has turned around for your good. So don't be ashamed of where you are right now. No matter what you're going through, no matter what you've done, if it was yesterday, do not be ashamed of where you are right now. God knew you would be here. Again, it's back to this, just a matter of giving everything to him. And you say, well, God, I've done this. I don't know how this can be fixed. He's saying, give it to me and watch the master work. Watch the master work. See what I do in your life. Give all that to me. Don't just bring me your good stuff. I know the good stuff you've done. I know you're proud of that. Bring me your bad stuff. That's what I really want because I'm going to fix it up. And so you repurpose your past and God turns your past mistakes into great testimonies. Because John said in 1 John, if we confess our sins, it's very simple. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and not just that, but to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Number three, reestablish your footing. Come on, you ever had to do that? I know I have. You ever fallen off the wagon? That's not just with alcohol, that's with anything, right? You ever been on a diet, falling off the wagon, or had a you know, workout regiment? All of a sudden, you hadn't worked out in two weeks, fell off the wagon, right? Or you said, I'm not going to drink any more soda pop. And all of a sudden, one day, you fall off the wagon, right? Or you give up smoking, fall off the wagon. Say, I'm not going to have a bad attitude. I'm just going to have a good attitude today. Nobody can get a rise out of me today. And then that one person, oh, Fell off the wagon, right? Come on now. Fall off the wagon. Well, this is what you need to do. Get back on that thing and reestablish your footing. First of all, don't hang on to those things. Repurpose your past. Say all things work together for the good of the called. And you are the called. Those that love the Lord. All things work together for your good. And so repurpose your past and now reestablish your footing. Paul told the Romans, he said, who shall separate us from the love of God? Come on, who can do it? No one or nothing shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life. Come on. Nor angels, principalities, powers, nor things present, nor things to come. Come on. Height, depth, I don't care. Any other thing created, nothing can separate us from God's love, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And then finally, rehearse the promises of forgiveness. When you find yourself in a situation where it just doesn't seem like You can be forgiven or you should have been forgiven because the enemy will bring up the things that you've already been forgiven of. He'll still bring it up and it'll make you think, you know, wow, I knew I was forgiven of that. But now that I think about it again, I really shouldn't have been forgiven of that thing. Rehearse the promises of forgiveness. Get into some of these scriptures. John Newton said this. He said, I have lived for years with the company of 20,000 ghosts. Those that I made slaves. He was the captain of the slave ship that later became a pastor. And he wrote Amazing Grace. He said, their blood is on my hands. And when he realized that God forgave him for what he did, I mean, he threw people off his ship because of the, there was too much weight in the middle of the ocean. Come on. But God forgave him. Forgave him, and he he became a pastor. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. 
I'll end with this story. There's a story of a little boy and a little girl, a brother and a sister, and they went to live with their grandparents for the summer. And what happened was they usually went to live with, go to live with them in the summertime. And this particular summer, they gave the boy and the girl some presents. And uh, what, what he got was a slingshot. All right, so he's out back by the creek using a slingshot. But he can't seem to hit anything. It's the first time he's ever used it. He uses this thing and he tries to hit the tree, misses. Tries to hit a rock in the creek with another rock and he misses. Tries to hit all this stuff, but he misses. So he begins to go back up to the house. His grandmother calls for dinner. And they begin to go back up to the house. And on his way back up to the house, he's just kind of tossing his slingshot around. And he sees his grandmother's pet duck. And so just on a whim, he, you know, slings a rock over toward the pet duck. And don't you know, he hit it right in the head. Killed it immediately. He said, oh my God, I didn't mean to do that. So he went over there and he buried the duck. And while he was burying the duck, he looked up and there was his sister across the way looking at him. She saw him. But she didn't say anything, so he buried the duck. They went on into dinner. Well, that night after dinner was over with, the grandmother said to the young lady, you know, hey, I I need you to, uh, to help me do dishes, Lydia. And Lydia said, oh, Grandma, you know what? Uh, I I do, I love to help you do dishes, but John was telling me earlier that he wants to do dishes tonight. Isn't that right, John? Remember the duck. So he did dishes. So they went on about their day, and uh, next day, next day, next day came, and all of a sudden one day the grandfather said, hey, I'm going to take John fishing today. We're going to be gone all day long. We're going to fish, and we're going to have sandwiches and just have a good time. Uh, In fact, I can take both the kids. And then the grandmother said, no, I need Lydia to stay with me today because I have some work for her to do around the house that I would like for her to help me with. And Lydia said, you know what, Grandma, I would love to stay around the house, but John was telling me that he wanted to help you do the work today. Isn't that right, John? Remember the duck. And so John stayed and helped his grandmother with all the chores. Well, this went on for quite some time, and finally one day John got tired of doing all of this. He said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to go to grandma and I'm going to confess. And he went to his grandmother and he said, grandma, a few weeks back, uh, in case you were wondering where your duck is, um, I was playing with my slingshot and I accidentally killed the duck. The grandmother leaned down to him and she said, John, I know you killed the duck. I I was sitting right here at the sink and I saw you do it. I forgave you the moment that you did it. I was just wondering how long you were going to let Lydia take advantage of you. I have a question for you today. How long are you going to let the enemy take advantage of you when God has already forgiven you for that thing? He's already forgiven you. He's wiped it away. He has wiped it away. And we need to realize what a friend we have in Jesus all of our sin and griefs to bear. Come on. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer.